Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast, a podcast about women's professional cycling, or kind of women's cycling in general sometimes. My name is Abby Mickey. I'm joined by Gracie Elvin. Hey, hey. <laughs> and today, special guest on the pod. We're hopefully going to hear a lot more from her this year, but Matilda Reynolds. Tills. Hey team, thanks for having me. G'day. I always feel like Gracie and I try to be so Australian with our intros sometimes, but uh, yeah, no, I'm sure it'll have a bit of, again, an Australian uh, twang to this podcast. But whilst we will talk about Australia a lot, that is majority of where the racing is happening at the moment before the World Tour rolls on and leaves us behind in a desolate time zone. So yeah, excited to chat cycling with you. And can we just add a note for the listeners that Tills is wearing a t-shirt with a kangaroo on? <laughs> it actually is a I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug a sponsor cool. it's a Cervelo one it was their TDU one I was like I'm gonna represent represent new new sponsor yeah. here we go they can keep me for the year maybe now maybe put done that my, in the discord <laughs> yeah yeah so definitely definitely put a picture of it <laughs> yeah the all eyes are on Australia at the moment and it's been awesome there's been a ton of action after the women's TDU wrapped up and before we Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race with the gravel race rattle uh put on by Tiffany Cromwell and Valtteri Botas plus the down under criterium that happened over the week before we focus solely on Australia. There were two races in Mallorca over the weekend that were not world tour races, lower level races, although there were some world tour teams there and both races were won by EF education Cannondale coming out the gate hot with Naomi Ruig taking the first stage in a reduced bunch sprint and Mags Valieras taking the second stage solo, which was Quite an impressive win, actually, from her with Mavi Garcia and Ashley Mompasio chasing her. It was an awesome... Both days were awesome. I felt like the second day, though, was... I was like, oh, man, I'm so excited for European racing now. Yeah, I think uh, um, I, I think it was Matthew Mitchell that said, uh, "Exciting race, women's racing is far more exciting when SD works aren't there." And I, I, I do tend to agree sometimes. But it was a, it was a great start. I think, um, but what a great start for EF. You know, it's an absolute dream start for them. They've caught. It seems like they've had their. They're just off the back of their team camp, but already you can see just such great vibe. I don't know if it's the pink that's everywhere. Um, the the weird pock helmet hasn't pulled the vibe. down down too much uh it's it, it looks a little bit different but uh yeah there's just like and and just such a great way to win on both of them as well they looked extremely well dialed i think there was a great photo of the sort of leading into the finish on that first stage where uae had everyone there but they're all running into the line separately so their you know their lead out was completely you know it wasn't together where you know ef are already looking a little bit dull but yes it's the first you know a few races so take it with a grain of salt but you can't ask for anything better really ef has like this incredible youtube channel and they had two video a video from each of the races just a minute and a half long but it gives a little insight into the team itself and so it's really fun to watch and Carmen Small the the director one of the directors for EF said that the goal in the races was to just ride as a team and be one unit and and you're right like especially in the first stage you could you could just see them riding all together as one unit and it was really impressive and like on the topic of UAE team ADQ it was really interesting. The second stage, they had the Mags was in a break at one point that also had, I believe it was Mavi Garcia in the break with them, and then three UAE riders. One of them being Persica, who actually crashed on a descent leading into the finish. Unfortunately, I think she's okay. It didn't look like a bad crash, but it did take her out of contention. But yeah, they had like three against one pretty much, and they managed to not land any on the podium. It does say a lot about EF, I think, going into the season and how their team attitude, like they've been super vocal about how they want to have fun and have this team, this very unique team culture. And already it seems like it's working. And I think for me, some of the best stuff to come out of those videos on YouTube, Allison Jackson, uh, Corinne Lebecki duo that we didn't know we needed. <laughs> um, like they're in the beginning of one, they're dancing and another one, they're like, doing the eagle from scrubs you know eagle <laughs> and uh and it's just great and i and i think it's awesome for the team for those riders especially riders who are coming off of situations that maybe weren't the best uh, team situations weren't the best last year 
to be in an environment where that's so fun and uplifting. And I think we're seeing that in these races and yeah, it's early season and they're not world tour, but it's it, as Danny Rowe says in the commentary, success breeds success. Mm. And so I think it's, um, it's great for that team to feel already like they're part of something special going into the season before they go into the world tour races, because obviously they'll want to be a world tour team in the future. And what better way than to let your racing do the talking for you? Uh, I, just on Corinne, like, I think this will be a really nice fresh start for her because we all know what she's capable of and we just haven't seen that sparkle from her for a little while. So hopefully this team and even just Alison Jackson herself will be that nice little boost. But yeah, here for the content. But like, I think getting results at this point of the season, I think is still a little bit harder than getting them at the end of a season. It's still both really great opportunities for the lesser known riders that um, find it tougher to go against the favourites once we hit that peak season. But I think like that mentality going into those early races is kind of the same for everyone, even if you know you're not quite on your top form yet because you're coming off that winter training block you, everyone wants to start the year on a good note and everyone's a bit nervous about where they're at. So I think we can, you know, look at some of these results um, with a bit of interest as to what's to come from some of these teams and riders. I, I want to circle back to the comment on Twitter about how the races are more interesting with SC Works. And I think we did see that this weekend, but we also have seen that at TDU and going yeah. into Cadell's, it's such an interesting dynamic where, you know, every single stage of TDU, we had a different winner from a different team, a new winner on a couple occasions to the world tour, which was really exciting. And again, in Mallorca, we had two super exciting races with, in theory, like an underdog team winning. They're not a world tour team, but there were world tour teams there. Ashley Mulman Pasio was there for the second second day of racing. So I think it is really interesting these races that SU Works doesn't line up to, seeing the dynamic of the race shift. And we haven't seen them race yet this year. So it's they're still to come. Their their situation and how they're gonna tackle the year is still to come. And it kind of feels like this overarching like dark cloud that's coming for us <laughs> a little bit. It makes you wonder like uh mentally and maybe physically yeah. what their strategy is there as to why they don't go to some of these early season races. Like Australia, that's more understandable. It's a big trip and it's disruptive in a lot of ways to winter training. But the other ones over back in Europe, you know, you're like, Well, why aren't they at those races? And I think that Maybe they don't want them to get down on like not winning at this point of the year because they, they know that mentality is just as important as building form. Yeah, you just really hope that the current peloton or the, the, the you know, the um, teams that have raced, that they keep this current mentality though as well and they're not constantly looking at SD Works in the race. Like I think hopefully we will see some different racing because it wasn't until CMAC, I think, ladies tour that it took, which was, I don't know, usually it's September. I'm, I'm Last year was so far long ago, but uh, the, you know, it wasn't until that tour that we really saw the team start to not play into SD Works hands so much. Like, you know, when there was that big gap, they made SD Works chase and for sort of the first time rather than doing all the work for them. And so, yeah, hopefully, I yeah, really exciting the way the teams are coming together already. And just I know, Gracie, you know, you and Matt did already such a great job covering the Tour Down Under, but I guess the um, – the washout of a lot of the what we've seen from the event, what keeps being repeated is just I I think, you know, it used to be a bit of a holiday, the TDU, and um, people used to go out after the stages and um, it used to be a training camp, glorified training camp, and now really there wasn't any rider there that I spoke to that hadn't done heat training um, who did quite well in the race and certainly took it um yeah really really seriously like i think what was interesting though that you could tell that people myself include just aren't quite race fit so what you did on one stage was really hard to repeat the following stage you know we saw ali wollaston she really struggled the next day cecily utra ludwig you know she sort of struggled a little bit on on walunga as well so i think that was probably just a little bit of a change um just having those races under your belt and being able to back up day in day out but yeah everyone was turning up there you know really ready to try to take world tour points I want to chat to you a little bit, Tills, about how it felt like being in that peloton because um, 
I from I haven't raised now for more than three years, but when I was retiring around those years, it felt like the skill level of the Peloton had also um, really gotten to a much more equalized level. And it looked from commentating that, you know, it was a pretty professional Peloton all around. Like there weren't that many crashes. It looked like a lot of teams were being really organized with um, some of their, their strategies and stuff. So can you tell us a bit about what it felt like to be in that Peloton? Yeah, it's such a good question, Gracie. And it was definitely something I wanted to bring up. Um, obviously, I, I didn't really get to feel it on stage one, wasn't really, uh, didn't have many friends. <laughs> but certainly on um, stage two and three, before I figured on stage three, like Walung the Wollonga stage was um, a lot of pressure. Like as soon as we went straight out of the gate, straight up wind windy point and, um straight into the QOM and there was we just the gap they wouldn't even let the break go for more than 20 seconds there was just a it felt you could feel the intensity of that day because of how windy it was I think with Wollonga um it's it was a little bit of a defensive race so no one was willing to fully put it into the gutter in and risk possibly blowing their own bullets everyone was just trying to protect their leader the entire time and be in good position be in the front but it's always so hard to tell on the coverage just how hard the peloton's going and how windy it was. Like you saw Sarah Giganti and even Grace Brown get popped out the back at, at different moments because, you know, it was if you weren't moving up on the sides of the peloton, you were getting spat out through the washing machine. In terms of the skill level, I actually had that same thought. I was near Loretta Hanson, apart from the time the dog sort of came through the peloton at one point I was like near the front and I was like why are we slowing down and then all of a sudden everyone was yelling dog but Loretta <laughs> Hansen honestly she went sideways like and and still kept it up and she, I don't know how she kept it up but it's such a good point that the skill level across the board, it, it, how there wasn't any crashes that day, the amount of movement in the peloton, amount of close calls, the amount of people getting pushed out into the gravel on both sides was a lot. And, you know, there wasn't any crashes. And to be honest, like there was a few crashes from our team and maybe the other Conti team, but that's because some of those riders have actually like, they were totally thrown into the deep end. Like they, you know, it, an incredible experience, but honestly they had hardly ridden with a peloton over 40 people. So that was some of the crashes we saw, but certainly from the world tour and maybe Uzbekistan, um, that, uh, yeah, the world tour level, you could really tell just how much more safe it was as, as well. But just also the level spoke to Grace Brown, before stage two and I said you know last time I did this stage like GB you won it like and she said yeah I was, she said she I, I don't hope she won't mind me sharing but she said she was looking at her power um I think from 2020 when she won that stage and she just said there's no way I would even get close to winning it today with that type of power so it's just sort of like the data is actually there to show just how much the peloton um how high the level has grown um across mm. the board you know and when we get to geelong i think that's gonna be on be you know showcase again and i just had one more question and you kind of touched on it already of like how hard the peloton was going it in it, I think it was um, not disappointing, but a lot of us on the other side of the fence thought it was going to be a more aggressive day, but I mm. I suspected that it, the pace was just so high and those roads are pretty tough to race on. I think the camera doesn't do it justice out there. Mm. Um, it just, I don't think it was as aggressive as we thought it might be just because it was hard. It was really hard to get away on stage. You couldn't get away on stage three because of the wind. It was just, and because... Uh, sorry, it I never really. Two, oh, sorry, um... sorry. Stage two, Grace. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the issue was Gracie that what would have completely changed the tour, and I'm sorry if you've already said this with Matt, is if Walunga was on stage one, and stage two in Sterling was actually on stage three, because again, it was sort of like everyone was waiting for Walunga, um, mm. and where if we'd had Sterling that multi-lapped um, stage, then as the last stage, similar to the guys where they had Mount Lofty as the last stage, I think everyone would have thrown just absolutely everything at it. Um, Sarah would have been put under enormous pressure there as well. Um, and, yeah, I think that would have been really exciting if that had been there. But, again, it was, it was quite defensive racing, so it wasn't so much 
and because of the terrain, because of the up and down, um, no one was willing to lose their position. And it was it was definitely still quite hard and quite a hot day after stage one as well. Um, but yeah. I would be my only feedback was if we could have swapped stage two and stage three around, it would have been really exciting. I did hear that from a couple of people. So I think that feedback has been filtered back. And another piece of feedback I kept hearing was it would be nice to have more stages. And I think... That's something we also touched on um, in the other podcasts um, was just that, yeah, that would be great, but, like, kudos to how they've built this tour so far. They've put money in the good steps so far, but I don't know. From what they, from what Nettie and Carly and Stewie were kind of saying, I think it's not too far off that we'll see a longer tour. Not sure about next year, hopefully, but I think in the future we'll see more. Yeah, like it's there's got to be another stage. It, it, it definitely doesn't have to go longer, and I'm so glad you said that in the podcast. Like 90K, it was exciting, and it doesn't need to be th- that longer than that in um, in January. Uh, but certainly, the all the feedback I got from a lot of the lo- a lot of the people that went down to watch the tour is like how good the women's racing was, like how good the women's tour was, how much they want more of the tour, like. Um, the, the villages and the pop-ups, like people didn't used to open for the women's tour. They're now selling out of all their merch by the time the women's tour is over. Um, and so that part of the event feels like it has grown enormously and the men's side of the event is possibly a little bit stagnant. So, and particularly because the men's early men's stages, I'm not going to say boring, but were very similar winner um, and, you know, didn't really take off until the weekend where the women's racing was quite exciting. So the the feedback that we got and, and a lot of the people went down was just, it was really positive feedback from the women's racing. Given the storyline, like as a journalist and how AG Insurance, you know, bookended the race, two very different styles of winner. And for, for Sarah winning the race, the story of her comeback kind of makes this year... A little bit special especially for an Aussie fan um but in the future yeah like throw in one more stage and you would see I mean FDJ Suez would make it really hard for Sarah to keep that jersey and it would have been super cool so I I think like all all the kudos deserved to TDU and all the hard work that they've done and everything that they've done to build up the race and we have the right people behind the race to push it to be a longer event. So I think it's, it's not, they don't need pressure from, from us or the outside world telling them they need more stages. Cause I think that they know and they want that for, for us and for the riders. So it's going to be something that we're definitely going to see. I, I would be more surprised to not see it than to see it. What, what was a great, um, I guess, conclusion of it was, or celebration of the women's racing was the crit that happened on um, Thursday night and uh, there was so many people down there and just like I just had the best time because all of my friends were down there, Every, like everyone that I knew in the <laughs> vicinity was just down there and I actually didn't end up racing. I wasn't 100% and had the gravel thing the next day. But, um, yeah, it was just such a good vibe down there and everyone loved it. Like, there was huge crowds there. Um, it was great racing around Vic Park and um, – Abby, you'll have to tell me what, who who won it. The uh, oh, Ninka Vinhoven. Yep, yeah, yeah, over Georgie Baker and Loretta. Yeah, and they and there was a really exciting breakaway, which we thought had definitely gone, um, and had Ruby Rose McGann. It had it had a Visma rider in there, and Visma bought the break back. They got on the front and actually brought it back and then kudos to them for being able to then still win the, win the day. So it was, it, you know, there's a little bit of prize money. Some of the riders didn't love having it on at that time of the week because it sort of mucked up their, I just want to finish the tour and get into training uh, and just, you know, do some bulk case. Uh, but, yeah, it was still like it was still good to have it because we're all there in Adelaide for a week living and like boarding house pretty much conditions together. So it was good to still, Hey, we're still here and uh, put on a little bit of a show as well. The most impressive thing from the crit was just the crowds. I saw so many photos of just like thousands of people. Hey, that's an exaggeration, but there were so many people there to see the women race. It was so cool. Everyone I spoke to just loved it. They thought it was one of the better yeah, parts of the event. Um, yeah, so awesome. yeah. Cause usually it. the TDU crit is, 
before the men's crit, but the way that they did the schedule this year is that the men had their crit on the Saturday of your stage two. Um, so I was like, oh, that's mm. a bit of a shame because, like, literally thousands of people come and watch that crit in the yeah. CBD, which is a cool atmosphere. Yeah, I was I watched it from home on Channel 7, which was cool, and they had, must have had three cameras because, like, it was really good coverage from oh, cool. the couch, and, yeah, the crowds looked awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think in, in terms of the racing, um, like a great win for Nenka and for Visma Lisa bike, but also just Loretta Hansen is flying right now. <laughs> yeah. I want her to I want her to win Cadell's because she's seriously like she's just like chipping away, you know, like she's just always there and she works so hard for that team. It's just like so cool to see her on another podium, even if it's just the crit, but she did so well in, in TDU and at nationals and then to kind of keep that momentum going into the crit. And I, the team must be looking at her right now, like, yeah, <laughs> I hope it's so. an option. <laughs> I hope yeah. so. The way she ripped it up, uh, the uh, qualm there last year at Cadell's and pretty much tore everyone's legs off and was trying to do a lead out for Spratty, but she did it so hard. Remember she just took off. <laughs> she definitely has the, uh, yeah, like, and she's in even better form this year. So she's definitely, definitely a dark horse, but what the smallest thing on Bisma, um, I, I was actually, I was really impressed by them. And then I was a bit annoyed by them because I read that article with their DS who's sort of sh like through bullets already shots fired at the previous, um, staff who were take you know looking after the Visma team, but one thing that was quite impressive with Visma during the race that we you know noticed and I'm sure you probably saw in the coverage was they were probably the number one team that was so good at riding together. Um, and like straight away they they got together like they didn't have yeah huge impressive results, but in terms of being in a you know getting through the bunch together and being at the front they were probably one of the best teams um that already have their you know team fairly dialed in and i've got a theory about it that i think that um they're all really young, young so they're all like yeah <laughs> no yeah they're easy to spot but they're all nine between like 19 and 21 like there's just a bunch of children and and this and they're all from the netherlands and so if you can imagine abby like if even like such a big country like the us if you had a team of six of your mates who you've all grown up together racing together um similar age sim and you're all from the same country like grace even more so in australia then you know it would be easier to really mold that team pretty quickly into like riding with one another because you know each other you've ridden together through the junior ranks or, or against one another so yeah it was interesting they were surprising in how quickly they gelled I thought in the peloton yeah I remember looking at the start list when I was writing the preview for TDU and my I was looking through the the Visma lease bike names and I was like man I don't really know Many mm. of these riders, they picked up so many new riders over the off season with the the mass exodus that happened um, with the formation of EF Education Canada. But I was just struck by how young the team is, especially for a world tour team. It could just be a a Dutch D Devo team, you know. And so when I was looking at the the team going into TDU, I was like, I don't think they're going to be able to accomplish too much because it's just such a young team and there are teams with more experience on the line like FDJ and Lidl Trek, but they, especially on the final stage, it was really hard to miss them all together. They were just one unit all riding together and hard to miss them because their kits are a completely different color than every other kit in the Peloton, but also because you could tell that they just, they just have something that kind of, links them together. And I think that like we just said about EF, if you have that kind of team camaraderie, the results will come. So I'm interested to see how they're going to do in Europe. And especially once you throw like Voss into the mix, imagine being a 19 year old racing on a world tour team in your first season. And you walk into the breakfast room and Mariana Voss is sitting there like Dutch goat. And you're just like, that's who you're riding for that day. I don't know how you wouldn't give it 110%. So I'm curious about how that team will do this year, especially under the new management and an all male staff. I'm pretty sure after they had an all female staff last year, it's going to be, I think one of the most, most interesting, one of the things that I'm most interested to see how it develops this year is Visma Lisa bike. 
And that article was, I mean, amazing work by Rachel Jerry. The the piece, the, the actual piece was was incredible, but the the interview with Jos van Emden, I, I mean, just the words he had to say, it's like, what's the point of <laughs> what's the point of this? Why do you need to throw the women who ran this team before you under the bus like that? It's just you're gonna yeah, see well, them every single day. EF have got two weekend. wins so far, so I'm sure it's a it's a tally board that'll be uh watched throughout the year. He set he set the tone and so now now it's a yeah, thing. Let the legs do the talking. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I do I don't wanna throw someone under the bus here. Um, but Dan Owens on the Discord raised a good point too, which has kind of been nagging at me for a while. Is like we don't hear a lot from Mariana Voss when it comes to athlete welfare even though she's been on Mm. ucr committees a bit to do with tca over the years and stuff so like she definitely does do athlete welfare stuff behind the scenes but it's just a shame that it doesn't seem to be happening that much within her own smaller sphere of the teams Mm. that she's been on over the years so yeah it's hard because you know she's the goat and she's it's not just her palmares that you know, make her special is that she's a a good person as well. But it's a bit disappointing that she has been a bit silent on some of this stuff. I wonder if it's because um because she's she's had to have surgery again and she's out for the cyclocross season. And speaking poorly of the goat, something that it's like when you look into Taylor Swift's flight records, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but for Voss, I think carbon impact. I can. <laughs> I think I can give Voss like a little bit of a pass in this situation, purely because she has her health that she's thinking of the year before, like the season before an Olympic year, the winter before an Olympic year. She's got a lot on her mind, I think, in terms of getting her body back to where she wants it to be after a disappointing year. So, while I agree that, like, I wish that she would say something, I wish that she would. I don't know, stand up for the younger riders on the team and and it wouldn't have been a situation where most of the riders, you know, felt they had to leave the team. But I also feel like that she's in a really tough spot at the moment in terms of her form and her fitness and her health. And so it's maybe a situation where at the moment she needs to be looking inward. But she's also not usually she's not traditionally outspoken even in the past when she's you know been riding her best she kind of just does her boss thing but yeah. she's she's so kind that you that she but she does keep to herself yeah you wonder if you hope if there's something behind the scenes there um because it'll certainly be different once she's there and you know they I think it sounds like speaking to some of the other staff there involved in that team that it's very much going to be a team that's just going to be surrounding one or two riders you know they're going to have multiple leaders or anything like that they're still very much building around around Voss and Ben um fam as well I think but um Abby I've got a question for you because I don't want I don't want to lose it and uh, we haven't really, Gracie and I haven't really had to experience this yet, but what was it like trying to watch cycling this weekend in a post GCN? <laughs> I'm worried. <laughs> I was lucky because I had Eurosport and everything okay. was on Eurosport. So I feel like being in Europe is kind of going to be the saving grace. And I mm. watching the discord and everybody on discord from North America trying to watch it it said that it was going to be on flow bikes and then it was only in Canada. So the, the people in the U S couldn't actually watch the race and we're having to use VPNs. So I think it is already just one world tour race into the air. It is not, it's not looking good for fans of women's cycling, which is a huge, huge bummer because we need that momentum from last year to keep this ball rolling and um Mm. yeah just watching the discord and and seeing people like oh where did you watch it i I can't find the stream oh it's not on flow bikes in the u.s and stuff and um yeah i thought you were gonna ask me about the time zones and (laughs) (laughs) 
It's not oh, that please. Thing. You get one, <laughs> one, one time. Are you okay? You had one weekend. You're right. Jesus. <clears throat> Give me a mini violin. Um, <laughs> one thing that was, um, uh, sorry, was also probably present at TDU was a bit of a, was Olympics chat. Um, I thought, I thought most converse, I'm not sure, you know, you picked up, you, you, you may have um, even potentially asked those questions, Gracie, but there seemed to be a bit of discussion around uh, Olympics, particularly, you know, um, it'd be interesting to know actually on the Discord if people want to ask to follow or you guys to follow deeper on like who's potentially being selected from different countries. Obviously, I can only speak for Australia, but even just the time trial the, the set who who's going to take the second spot in the Australian time trial was um you know I had multiple discussions around that and then certainly um you know Gracie I think you mentioned uh that um Sarah Giganti sort of qualifies potentially as a um to be potentially selected for the Olympics but it did certainly leave it pretty wide open um on who's going to take those spots so I think with everything that happens this year, that particularly these early season races, that that will be won't be too far away from people's mind because pretty much everyone that I spoke to on I, the uh, top Aussies have was speaking about the Olympics and wanting a spot. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. a tough decision to be made. I don't envy the selection committee this year. I think it's going to be a shitty or a tough job to pick. I don't know who I would pick, but I'll maybe I'll <laughs> leave that pick? for another day. <laughs> don't leave well, me hanging like that. All right, let's. I'll just say it, and then we'll see what happens in six months' time. Yes, Gracie. I'd pick, well, Grace Brown. She's kind of like the got the tick out of everyone um, as a no-brainer. Um, but then I would probably take Ruby and Loretta. I would I would say the exact same thing honestly and I think kind of the person that gets left off to off the roster who potentially deserves a spot especially in the TT is maybe Brody like she had such an incredible TT I think it was Tour de Suisse last year and second at the TT at the Nationals but the you have to also think about the road race and it's it's a course that would suit Ro- Ruby Roseman Gannon and Loretta is indispensable. You need someone mm. working. So if you have Grace and Ruby, you have two options for how the race is going to shake out. Plus you have someone who's just a dedicated worker who's proven time and time again that they are there for the team and they are there for for their leader. And so it's just, I feel like all three of those are a no brainer, but it's, it is going to be a really tough decision because you also have, you know, if you take a track rider, if you throw Georgia Baker into the road race, then it completely changes who you can select for the TT and X, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it's just, such it gets, it gets really complicated with the politics and the quotas and stuff, but I would be surprised if they took someone specifically mm. to fill a second TT spot. Uh, I just don't think that that's strategically a great idea, but also historically that hasn't happened for a really long time for Australia. So I think that best case scenario, they take one TT and two good roadies and obviously Grace is a good roadie too. Um, I think what is has a good chance of happening is they'll take Grace, one other roadie and throw in a track rider into that road team. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I reckon like we've had an opportunity to like deep dive into the Aussie selection. So Abby, I'm sure you'll get your chance to look at the uh, the US and Canadian. And yeah, it'd, it'd be good to it's a good it's a good pick, uh, Gracie. And yeah, try to if we were the selectors, what who you'd pick for those few spots uh, in the Olympics? Yeah, that's a fun episode we could do in the future. Just kind of <laughs> take the the top nations and try to figure out who they're gonna take. This is a full episode. I'm cutting this off. So, yeah. <laughs> bring us back bring us back <laughs> before we talk about Cadell's which is coming up this weekend I want to talk about the rattle gravel event that happened um, on Friday after the crit because it's you know gravel is such a interesting part of cycling it's this growing world of cycling that is getting more and more attention and, and it's just amazing and I personally know how good an event the those two put together having been at Finland Gravel. So Tills, I wanted to talk to you about it, how the race 
was for you being in the race and how the event was as a whole because no it was definitely you know there was definitely a bit of spirit of gravel going on you know Australia's funny because we're, we're about um we used to be maybe five years behind I'd say we're maybe about three years behind where the U.S. is with their gravel market and also the racing that's happening in the U.S. you know you sort of say to people here in Australia um you know all oh, this lifetime Grand Prix which was the biggest cycling professional cycling event in the USA no one still really knows what it is here Mm. Uh, and then also in the US all of the industry brands are putting all of their future resources and and all their future bets on gravel you know that's what we're hearing from the likes of Trek and Specialized and Canyon like that you know they're building gravel teams and will have multiple versions of gravel bikes and maybe just you know a handful of road bikes because that's where the growth is so um, it's still a bit of a novelty in Australia. It's like, oh, dirt. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, and so it's um, it wasn't huge, into, but they capped the numbers. And I think they did that. They love, you know, I've done Steamboat, their other event there in Colorado twice, and they love selling it out. Uh, and that whole, like, you can't, it's so hard to get in and you've got to go into a lottery. So they sort of had that same approach here in Adelaide as well. But I think it was a good test run event for them. Um, you know, there was a few, every now and again, like a, a few cars would be on the roads. and But that's what makes gravel so viable for event organisers is because they don't have to pay for traffic management, which is what's killing so many event road events across the world, really. Um, but Kudos to Tiff and obviously Voltry. I was in their group um, for the day, and but like no one was working harder than Tiff uh, that week in in you know pushing every sponsor she's had for the last fifteen years that she's had, she's been racing. Like there was a lot going on, and just um, you know they did a lot down there, and and they did great to line up for the event as well. I know she would have been pretty exhausted, but the event itself was a great success. And gravel, it's just hard. It's hard whether you're coming first or, you know, 200th. It's, uh, you know, Chloe Hoskins was out there as well. And um, it's just a tough course, no matter what, you know, sort of terrain it is. But it was stunning. It's Adelaide. There are koalas and kangaroos. So, you know, I'm sure they planted them there, but they were, you know, everything that made the event. So, yeah, it was, it was, I can't say a bad word about it. I think they would have learned a lot. What will be interesting, I caught up with Tiff after the event, is whether they keep it in TDU or not, um, or whether it's going to be its own separate event. I, I loved it being a part of TDU and everyone was there and it sort of added another layer of like, you know, breaking up the men's sort of race that week. Uh, so I hope they keep it there, but they'll certainly make it bigger. And I think, you know, these events, particularly the gravel events, a crowd builds a crowd. So there would have been a lot of FOMO, a lot of pros that I spoke to, like, wanted to do it. Sarah Giganti really wanted to do it, but just wasn't sure about getting a new bike and a few different things. So I think if it's on the calendar, then a few more professionals might be able to get a leave pass from their teams and take it on. And yeah, and no issues. No one really crashed. I crashed into Voltry because he crashed. But um <laughs> Like that's now my claim to fame. Not many non-F1 drivers have crashed into Voltry Baltice, but I was like, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it's very annoying. It was very, they were like, anyway, we could have, anyway. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just thought he'd, he, if anyone knows how to pick a line, it's him, but he, uh, he lost against a tree branch. So uh, <laughs> but apart from that, we both went down in the sand. Well, he's and, really, um, he's used to hot mix. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's not used to sinking sand. Yeah. Yeah. Then, <laughs> group just rode away from me which was fine um so yeah so no it's not can't say a bad word about it but it was it was good vibes but then also it was competitive as well but yeah apart from me no one crashed and so there was no issues around it being a safety thing for the pros so I think a lot more will be able to do it and yeah it was great to see Brody Chapman, Nicole Frayne, and our friend of the podcast, um, Hardy Franz, get up there as well on the podium. So, yeah, it was actually the only feedback I had, and I, not that I gave it to Tiff because she had enough shit to deal with, is just like in general with gravel races is that there's no like time update. So all of us, like I ended up being the back of that group, we were all within a minute of each other at one point, and, but we were in like three separate groups. And so, and in the end, like pretty much from third to 
ninth were at finish like almost I don't know 90 seconds apart but the whole time we didn't know that and the issue is you get in your group and you just sort of I don't know you just hang out then with your group you're not really like really trying to chase the group ahead of you because you just can't see them you know gravel it's so it's so twisty and it's so closed in with the bush that you can't see the groups ahead of you so just to create a bit more excitement and actual tactical racing because that's really why Ruth Edwards left gravel because it was just so friggin' boring. It's just like an eight-hour ride um, is trying to create hopefully in these events a bit more timekeeping and a bit more like time updates so then, you know, you can really motivate your group to try to chase the next group down or if you're getting chased, you try to stay away. So, yeah, just general general industry feedback. <laughs> gravel, gravel as a whole, but like, like I'm gonna interview. What next event I do? I'm gonna make sure they have it. Like even at the 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 drink stops, not that we stopped, but there's like mutual support. Like, and they're all on the radios to one another. So sort your shit out and tell us where the next group is. So yeah, yeah, just have a whiteboard. Just the kangaroos that they've planted on the side. That yeah. to indicate the timing. <laughs> Oh man, we saw this koala and honestly it had been planted there by South Australian tourism. It was just like sitting there just on the side of the road, just in its like tr- tree branch right next. It was just like perfect. It was just. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was right on gravel. Do it next year. Sign up. It was great. All right. So changing, changing a little bit back to the road and also to Cadell's 143 kilometers, the course is rolling and it's one of those one of those courses that really wears on you. Like there's no super long climbs, but it really, by the time you kind of hit the last 30 K, your legs are tired because you've been constantly going up and down. And even though there are some flat bits, it's, there's a lot of hustle and bustle that happens in this race. And by the end, it's a very selective finish. And we've seen solo winners, Los Adahis won solo last year. We've seen like a tiny group or like two or three the year that Arlena Sierra won. And, uh, it's, is a really interesting race. I feel like it's one of those races where when you get to the end, the winner, you're like, Oh yeah, of course. But in the race, it's just, it's really hard to, to spot who is going to take the finale at the end. So I wanted to talk a bit about that because in the Peloton, obviously you've, you've seen who's riding well and which teams will be able to tackle a race like this successfully. So yeah. What do we think about this? What do we think about who's going to take this? What do we think about this race this year? So uh, Cadell's was my very first like pro race. I was actually in a team of Brady Chapman and we were YouTubing what an echelon is. And uh, so this, <laughs> and there's actually, if anyone ever needs a really good how to echelon, there's a really good video on YouTube, but the, this, so this race, it can really depend on what the wind's doing. So it goes along the coast where it can be a very gnarly crosswind and <laughs> And the one year that the very first year that I did it was like a baptism of fire because after the first 30k it got absolutely put into the gutter um we didn't really see that last year it actually was a fairly like it, there was pressure um being a one-day race as well there's a lot more sort of uh tense you know the, the peloton's a lot more tense but it really was leading into the last uh QOM and what we saw last year was a small, like a whittled down group. I'm getting over the, over that first lap. Um, and then there were attacks going after that first lap. Uh, but then again, it came down to a group and a lead out into the second quarter. And as you said, we saw Spratty and Lois, like they went off together. What I think we'll see this year though is like, I think the, the thing is it's not that one or two people is so much higher above or that they've gotten so much better. It's just that there's a lot more people that fill that top echelon, like that top spots now. So, or could potentially win that I see. So I think we, I don't, I'll be very surprised if it's one or two that get away. I see it as a, a, a reduced group uh, will we'll take, and then it's a really hard finish. It, I mean, a sprint finish. It's a really long drag um to the finish and uh it's a hard sprint to get right depending on what the wind's doing so it'll be a really exciting day though yeah particularly those last two laps i can't see a breakaway going or staying away before that 
I hope it's aggressive, but it usually we don't really get a successful breakaway too often, and they've changed the direction of that big lap as of mm. last year. So it used to go clockwise, and now it goes anti-clockwise. So you mm. you're not on the coast as early. Um, I'm always hoping for crosswinds, no matter what race it is. <laughs> Addition of the second time that they go up Chalambra, I think, is really good since last year because. As Tills has just said, like the depth of the peloton is mm. a lot better. Like the last few years, it will, every year it just gets better and better. So I think it's it's not like a heap of climbing like it used to be. And I think, um, you know, like Loretta can get over it twice, I reckon, whereas in the Definitely. past you'd think someone, a rider like that, wouldn't. Um, Chloe Hosking kind of surprised us in 2018 mm. to get over that climb and that was just kind of that She'd like really peaked for that, that event because it was a selection event for Com Games, um, mm. I, and I was second because I didn't think that she would be there. <laughs> um, but that's okay. But now we see sprinter types or ruler types be able to do it twice, not just once. Yeah, and that is going to be a pretty. Gr- I could. I reckon it's going to be a biggish group actually by how everyone so is racing at PDU. Maybe a group of twenty. Yeah, and then I hope we see because um, I thought that Jake, like Jaco, had five riders in that final group in the end, and they just didn't quite like do anything with that. So I just hope that I just hope it's chaos. Like once we get to that final, I hope they're not trying to lead out or you know trying to get like I just hope that like people are just pinging off the front and we're not trying to get just like a full group there at the end. But I think also, you know, Loretta sort of threw her race last year by trying to do that lead out. So I think, and when she could have gotten around, you know, more comfortably and been able to contest certainly from, you know, the, the uh, third and beyond sort of thing. So I think there'll be a few more riders looking to do that as well. But question, do you think Chloe Diget's coming? She's on the start list. I saw that she is no longer injured or whatever that was. And there's a Track Nations event on after, so she could do that as well. And I was like, that girl doesn't race unless she can think she can win. She's not coming to just spot koalas. I think she's in Spain (laughs) at the moment. Okay. Or as of the weekend, she was at the cyclocross the cyclocross race down in Valencia this weekend. But there's still time to fly fly down. So I don't know. Apart that apart from her make it interesting. Yeah, I'd say that Cecily would be like it would really suit um Cecily if she can get away. It'll just depend on like what the sprinter makeup is of that that group. Like don't we can't look at Walunga and think, oh, Cecily's not a you know her peak form. I really just think it was just the recovery and backing up the next day, um, as well. So yeah, I think it certainly suits her. And and I wouldn't also put it past Grace Brown. I know she was, um, you know, not at her best for TDU, but this is, uh, you know, she was in great form for nationals. So I think she'll be coming back for this uh, with with some redemption. Jaco is going into this race with like a point to prove after having kind of a disappointing TDU. Like they didn't, they weren't able to take a single stage. And I think for them, especially if it's going to be a group of 20, if Ruby Roseman Gannon can be in that group, then that's a great option for them. And yeah, but I, I'm, they're definitely a team that they'll be looking at this race like, okay, it's the last world tour race on home soil for a year. We really need to win this race. Yeah, I don't know how well they do under pressure, but yeah, that sort of pressure on themselves. But I know that speaking to Ruby's coach that uh, she really targeted nationals, did even some altitude training for the first time leading into it and um, really worked on her sprint because uh, she had, you know, she'd been in that winning group a few times but just had missed the sprint. So I think she her sprint is at a better position earlier this year than it has previously been. So um, I think it suits her as well, that that finish. So if it's anyone, then um, – and she's just in great form. So, yeah, it's a great a great point, yeah. Try and think who else is – yeah. What else? <laughs> There's definitely, like, a lot, of, a lot of really interesting riders on the start list, and I, I think it's, it's very similar to TDU, obviously, especially the teams that fly down – they have the same roster for both races, give or take like one rider. Sometimes ri- race 
sometimes teams bring like a backup rider in case someone gets injured at TDU and they need an extra rider for Cadell's. But there's definitely like, you know, Canyon Strand with Soraya Paladin that she, she was riding well at TDU. And I think for her, um, it's still, since we've not moved over to Europe yet, she's still in that uh, spot where she's able to ride for herself a little bit more than when it comes to the European races and she's riding in support of other riders on the team. And obviously, like, Allie Wollaston was riding so well at TDU and AG Insurance is going to take a lot of, they're going to take a lot out of TDU and bring it into Cadell's with how well they rode the entire race and winning the overall there. But I think, yeah, it there's a couple of teams that it's like, okay, what could they, what could they do here? Because they're like sitting a little bit in the, in like a unknown zone, like UAE team ADQ. I'm not sure how they're going to go for this yeah, race. They've really obviously good got, yeah. yeah, they got Sofia Bertizzolo. They've got some great riders on the team, but will they be able to pull it off and DSM Ferminich as well? Like they, they have some really strong riders in there and, mm. Um, Francesca Barale, she could be an interesting one depending on how it goes, but the, it's, it's a lot of unknown. It's more wide open than something like Wollonga. And also we seem to see riders win it who we didn't expect to either. Like it's, uh, it's rare that the favorite wins, like we run through the list of, um, uh, Lois Adagest, who won last year, um, she definitely wasn't on like the potential. Obviously, Leanne Lippert won it before that, um, and she's gone on to greater things. But Alana Sierra, that still is one of her biggest wins um, ever in 2019. And as um, Gracie mentioned, Chloe Hoskins before that. So, yeah, it does offer up. And I think a lot of teams have come here and just didn't get much out of TDU. So this is their last sort of hurrah. So I think there'll be, yeah, a lot of teams just trying to show um, at least, yeah, get on the camera and, you know, get some return for the trip. We'll see you attack, right? <laughs> no, I was like, I don't want to throw an attack. God damn it. I want to, I want to get, I need to get round. I need to get round, but yeah, look, I'm sure that we'll be represented somewhere, but you know, even that one that I did on stage one, I was on a borrowed bike. I was like, okay, I'll go first. And then you guys counter attack. <laughs> no, was- but yeah no it's right. um yeah it'd be it, it like it's really important for the the local teams grace you you were going to mention it before but i think just coming quickly back to that because some people don't quite get is that the conti teams the local conti teams actually across the world actually do usually get the opportunity to race their local UCI races. Um, so we see that in some of the biggest, even some of the biggest spring classics, there's Belgium Conti teams that we don't really see in other countries who get the opportunity to do those big races. And that is why. So, you know, like those riders are so good and they breed such good talent. If ACA, Skip Capital and Bridge Lane were to be, who are the local co- Conti teams to be cut from their tour down under, it would be devastating for um, Oz Cycling and cycling and development in Australia. Even more so, I know I've been on the side of being a sponsor of these teams and this is pretty much one of the only times you get a return from those teams. Like after this, they, yes, the NRS, the local racing doesn't really get that much coverage and then they go to Europe and it means really nothing to your brand necessary, like really, because a lot of them are sponsored by Australian brands. So this really is these brands' grand final. Like they go so hard on promotion. They go really big on getting a return from these teams. And if they are not a part of um, this, you know, summer of cycling that we call it here, it would be devastating for um, Oz Cycling really and the development of uh, Australian cyclists. Um, so I know it was a risk when it went to World Tour, whether these teams would be included or not, but I do know that the organisers of Tour Down Under are trying to ensure that they still keep giving them that opportunity. On the men's side, they can't do it. They are only a part, They but they can feel the Oz Cycling team. Um, and, and what they've tried to create is the top NRS team, so the top national team, they pull the riders from that team to feel the um feel the national team for the world tour event. So that is something that is motivating for teams to do well in the national league. But I can tell you now there's been since this tour down under has gone world tour, a lot of teams have dropped, fallen away from uh, the national road series. 
Um, so yeah, it's something that they've really got to hang on to. Yeah, we saw the same thing with Tour California when they went mm. world tour, and when when the race went world tour and cycling in the U.S. really struggled because of that. And it's it's such a huge thing for de- the development of the sport, and we talk about all the time how important it is for the development of the sport for people to be able for for young riders to be able to experience something like this. And mm. um, on home soil, it's just it's so much it's so much easier dive into the race if you know where you are yeah if you jump into if you throw someone into a race in belgium and they've never raced in belgium before it is it is brutal but if you jump into a world tour race especially these early races in australia even though the level is rising it's still not omlu pet news blood you know so it's it's so important it's so important and and you guys like all the the Aussie teams that get to race, they make the most of it. And it's really cool to see. It makes the racing more exciting. It adds an extra layer to the racing and it's important. It's really important. Yeah. I think we want to just get to the point where um, we're also contesting for the finish as well. But you also when these tours are over, it definitely lifts the level of the local racing. So um, yeah, it's, it's really important, but also, yeah, such a good opportunity. Don't want to waste it. I think we're going to wrap up this episode with what we're obsessed with. I want to talk about SD Works' new naming sponsor. A, a subsidiary of SD Works came in with more money to sponsor the team, and they cited the Tour de France Femme of X-Wift as a reason for that. But we're going to dive into that in another episode, and we'll wrap this one up. Tills, I know what you're obsessed with. <laughs> yes. Yes, 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 yes. So um, <laughs> I'm really late to the party and it's a little bit annoying because it's like you should be obsessed with it, but it's got nothing to do with that she's involved in Taylor Swift. So I'm obsessed with the artist called G Flip and I'm very late to the party. Um, she's an Australian artist and, yeah, you just type in G Flip and she actually is a drummer. Uh, and but she makes all her own music and is a, actually a fantastic singer. And so she just started her own late like private label. She couldn't get through to all the big labels. She so she started making YouTube clips of herself playing drums, thinking that would cut through. And then actually, no one realized how good a singer she was. Anyway, she's now a big deal. However. This past week, she has done the most amazing cover of Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer, and she's made it rock, and she's made it uh, a drum solo. Anyway, we need to put a link somewhere because it's just obsessive. And so the reason why I'm into it is because I learnt the drums for six years and then I haven't played them since. And just in the last little few weeks, I've had the opportunity to play the drums again, and it was just, yeah, really, really good to get back on them because... But any advice to parents, you too, don't let your children play drums. They're so inconvenient. Like, <laughs> like it was such a waste of money. Like, I learned, and like, there's, you know, there's not a drum kit just sitting in the airport that you can just go play like there is a piano and you can't just like pull it out around the campfire. So learn the guitar, learn the piano. But I am obsessed with getting back into drums at the moment. And we'll send a link, put it in the Discord, put it in the notes, wherever it is. Everyone's going to watch it. It was great. It'll be in the show notes because, yeah, it's so good. It's, it's really, really good. Matt Deneef sent it to me last week and um and i think i watched the youtube video like four times because yeah. like, wow <laughs> it's like that wow this all, is of, so all of her music is very good too i could definitely mm. vouch for her as an artist i like yes. her as well <laughs> um i'll i'll stick on the kind of music theme pretty basic but i didn't read the book one of the few times i just went straight to the show and i just watched daisy jones and the six Mm. And it was amazing. It was so good. Every episode I was like, and I Googled it and I was like, I wonder who's actually singing and playing and all the cast did it. I was like, it it was good enough to be like music, not just a TV show. Like I just, I don't know, it was really great. And I loved um, Daisy's voice who's actually <laughs> Uh, her name is Riley Coe. Is that how you say her last name? But she is the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. So she's got some talent there. But, man, she has a beautiful voice. I loved it. What a flex. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> the soundtrack is so good because, yeah, it's like it's all, I think, original music as well. And they, yeah, pulled inspiration from, like, Fleetwood Mac. It's really great. Yeah, it's definitely – you can really tell that Fleetwood Mac inspo. But, like, I just – I don't know. I think I'm a bit of a, a flower child. So I just love the whole 70s. <laughs> 
vibe every house that they were in i was like oh yes every outfit i loved it it was so good <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll stick with the music as well because I I discovered this band uh, a couple weeks ago called The Last Dinner Party, and it's this indie band, all all female indie band that they kind of they were, I think two of them were friends and they were going to gigs together and they were like we should start a band and so they started oh a band gosh. and now. They have not released an album yet, but they're one of the most anticipated albums of 2024. And their first album is coming out February 2nd. And they just performed over the weekend on the Graham Norton show, one of their songs, Nothing Matters. And they're just amazing. And they have this like, I want to call it like vampire aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) I can get around that. Like like flowy velvet dresses and like corsets and stuff and it's just it's their their whole vibe is amazing and they're also the music is also like really good it's like this combination of like rock indie rock kind of thing and they a lot of times they'll start out like a slow and then they'll build into something greater and then kind of drop back into the slow and it's there's a lot going on and it's all just amazing and so if you haven't heard of the last dinner party highly recommend very good very good stuff i will i will i'll look it up all right well tills thanks so much for joining the pod we we can't wait to have you back on hopefully after today's and gracie thanks for your time thanks that was fun yeah i'll see you in geelong yay FOMO. I'll be commentating you, Tills. <laughs> oh, that's right. You know how to say my name. You can, you can do that. Yeah, uh, uh, hope, yeah hope, well, hopefully you are. If you're not, then I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs>